Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is J.D. Koch. J.D. is the rector at St. Francis in the Fields Episcopal Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also a theologian. He did his doctorate in systematic theology at the University of Humboldt, dealing with issues of law and gospel as the boundary of theological reflection. I give you J.D. Koch. J.D., welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Excited. Big week. Yeah, but Easter week. This is this is like for clergy. This is like the Super Bowl. I mean, here it, it is. is the this Super is... Bowl. Yes, it's uh, you know, it's funny. It's um, you know, people. It, it's really kind of nice because people leave you alone. Like they say, oh, it's Holy Week, so we, you know, certainly we can't get together. We can't meet. I know you'll be so busy, and so it ends up being kind of a, a blessed respite, really, um, in preparation, obviously for. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter morning. There's a there's a number of um, of uh, services requiring output coming up very quickly. So we're excited about it. So I interviewed a guy recently, a couple months ago, Todd McGowan, who wrote a great book. It's called Only a Joke Can Save Us: A Theory of Comedy. Huh. And then he makes this interesting observation that Christianity is is the ultimate comic religion because he thinks his theory of comedy is when lack and excess come together in an unexpected way. Huh. And he says Hegel gets this. Yeah, most Christians don't. Like uh, most of the best comedians are, he's like, are Jewish, you know. But but they should be Christians because at the heart of Christianity is this comic figure. Um, but he, I want to start with. So I, then I found out recently that on Easter Monday in the Orthodox tradition, I mean Orthodox Easter, but they tell jokes on Monday to celebrate okay. like irony and unexpected endings. So I want to start by telling you a joke. Yes. that McGowan thinks is um, sort of emblematic of Jewish, he says, the best Jewish jokes rely on the failures and betrayals of the omnipotent deity. So there's this Jewish guy who complains about his son to a rabbi. He tells the rabbi, I gave my son a Jewish education, a good bar mitzvah, and all the proper religious, religious instruction. But when he left the house, he converted to Christianity. The rabbi responds, funny you should mention that. The same thing happened with my son. The man asked the rabbi how he handled the situation. And the rabbi says, I went to God with a problem. I told him I gave my son a Jewish education, a good bar mitzvah, and all the proper religious instruction. But when he left home, he converted to Christianity. The man asked the rabbi, what, what was God's answer? The rabbi says that God sighed and stated, funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So there you go. It's a great interfaith joke. Well, there you go. That's right. Very ecumenical of you. Well, it's, uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, ecumenical, our first reading comes from the First Testament, the Old Testament, Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. And here we have the Lord is laying out a, on the mountain of the Lord, he's a feast for all peoples, rich food feast of well-aged wine. This is not cheap box stuff. That's right. This That's is right. like sideways. We're not drinking the Merlot! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're, they're not drinking. And, and then there's this promise that death will be wiped away forever. It's, it's an amazing passage, Scott. I mean, this is often used also at uh, funerals, or at least it is um, for me. Because the great question that hangs over the very, very reality of human existence is, 
hit directly on uh, head on in the Bible. And I think this is where I, I talk about it often that the, the great relevance of, uh, of the scriptures lies at precisely the point of the diagnosis of what actually is wrong with us. And what's wrong with us is there's a great shroud cast over all peoples, the shroud of death that brings into question um, every other act of human endeavor. I mean, every, every love, every um, fi- uh, flight of, of great aspiration every every second is brought into question because of this this looming finitude and the bible doesn't turn away from that it actually argues from the beginning to the end that this not only is our problem but that which needed to be defeated and so in isaiah we hear you know the the details of it are not exactly um you know known to the people in the old testament but the hope certainly was and the hope was one that is certain is shared um across time and space in that the 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 great um, confusion that lies at the heart of human existence uh, will someday be reconciled by God Himself and bring into into um, light uh, what He will actually do to save. And that says, on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him so that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I mean, this is Isaiah um, laying out before the people the problem and the as of yet unclear, but certainly hoped for resolution to this problem. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing passage. Yeah, and it's interesting because it counterintuitively works from the particular to the universal, right? We would, as late moderns, we think everything should be universal first, and then you figure out how it applies to this culture, or this context, or the situation. But here... Yeah. You've got these people in exile are struggling and the the solution to their problem is going to include not just their deliverance, but the deliverance of all people and even the deliverance from death itself. So there, it seems like God starts from the particularity of their plight and the solution doesn't just include their plight, but the plight of, as you said, the entire human race. Yeah. And I think that's where that's where people who who don't take seriously the um the the work of God in Christ for the defeat of death as the primary <laughs> means of of redemption um are are not really in touch with with what actually is ailing the human the human person i think um and you're exactly right that the the this universal sort of theory you know like the what the um, physicists are looking for you know the final theory of everything um you know that's a search that actually um is misguided because we have been given um in this in this person and work i mean this is what easter morning is about is it despite all despite all um evidences, despite all um, um, ideas, despite all of our expectations, God has chosen to, um, in a very counterintuitive way, save the world through this very particular man at this particular time, which then will have, as you said, universal ramifications for for all of humanity. I mean, this is um, where we are. You know, I think of that scene at the end of Return of the King, where everybody bows before Aragorn and his bride, and when they all kneel down, suddenly you can see the hobbits, mm-hmm. right? Like, and they're about to bow and Aragorn says, no, we bow to you. And, you know, I think of their, like, you know, throughout the history, throughout the story of Tolkien's epic, like a lot of people don't even, have never heard of hobbits and yet hobbits are the key to their deliverance. Right. And now actually one hobbit, it narrows down to yeah. one hobbit who has, to, who has to take the ring up the hill. And so th- it's interesting that the whole, all these nations are bound, their, their healing and deliverance is bound up with one small people that they finally know and da- and then it, it it focuses down to one last hobbit <laughs> yes i mean it's it's fascinating i mean it's 
you know, that gets us to to the the, the great question that lies over Easter morning for the preacher, uh, which I think is even um, is helpful to to suggest to the congregation is that you know this actually that the argument is not simply that it happened, but that we stand in the stream of its its success and its its victory. You know, I mean, there's the, the fact that we're sitting here in 2018 talking about this crucified Jewish man um, is nothing short of a miracle. Um, and the fact that we are continuing to sing and pray and be inspired by um, the the spirit in works of love and service for him is a argument which is almost irrefutable for, at the very least, the importance of it, if not the the the, the, the veracity of it. And I think that's where um, you know too many. I think too many preachers don't don't allow for the the just simple shock, like you said in the beginning, the, the sort of almost comedic shock of how seemingly counterintuitive and ridiculous this, this is that we're even still here. And yet we are here and not just here. We're dressed up and we're, 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 we're excited and we're, we're living in an altogether different way because of this man. Um, you know, reflect on this and then, then reapproach Isaiah once again and, and wonder about, you know, the day that the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people will be taken away. And for the Lord has spoken. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if, if you can't preach on Easter morning, something of a um of, of a good sermon however relatively understood with your abilities then um you know you might should find a different job um, hey, you know carl bart was asked once give me a proof of god's existence he just said the jews yeah and here it is on easter sunday many uh, you know hundreds of millions of people will worship the messiah of israel risen the lord jesus and there yeah. are still jews <laughs> like yeah. there aren't there aren't uh we don't know. There's not Syrophoenicians, Assyrians, right? But there's still a That's people right. in continuity. Malachites, yeah. Jerusites, Jebusites, yeah. all the ites, all the ites have gone. I mean, it's, it's, it's a uh, yeah. I love this one, I, and I love the the prophecy that Isaiah gives. is so touching and so um, so emotionally poignant about wiping away tears and the disgrace will be taken away because it immediately points to the, in light of the cross, um, the message of forgiveness that was going to be associated with Jesus's name from the beginning. I mean, in, in the reading from Acts, that's a, that, that was also for this day is that, um, you know, that, that all who believe in his name will receive forgiveness in his name. And there's that whole, you know, back to the whole, um, the whole argument of the revelation of God is that it's in the subsequent sort of confession of our need um, in our tears. And as Isaiah would say, that through the tears and the disgrace and the shame that God has spoken, not abstractly in those areas, but directly to those areas in his son creates the people who now um, sing and rejoice in their salvation in an altogether different way. Um, yeah. You know, I think in the grapes of wrath, you know, Grandpa Joe, as they're going from Oklahoma to California before he died, he died, it doesn't make there, but he's always talking about how he's going to eat these grapes from this vineyard in california and he's just gonna let savage let them like really run down his face but he's, <laughs> yeah. but he's not gonna care because it will show that their hard times are finally over amen
So let's sp- speaking of the resurrection and 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 uh, hope. First uh, Corinthians fifteen, right? This yes. is another reading. This is you know perhaps the one of the resurrection readings one through eleven, where Paul is sort of laying out his case for why the resurrection is not dispensable. So apparently at Corinth, this is something that's apparently up for debate. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, that, I'm sorry, my, my computers. Um, we, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the one where you turn to when you say um, the centrality of the resurrection for the, for the sole um, sort of foundation for the Christian hope. I mean, I think that, that Christians, or I use that term loosely in this respect, who try to argue that somehow the resurrection would be secondary or perhaps um, um, if it didn't happen, then we could still have some sort of faith is, is on its face absurd. And not just that, it's been addressed directly in Paul here. And he talks about how the, the resurrection not only happened, but we saw him. You know, he handed on to you, as he says, of first importance what I in turn received. And he begins to give the, the description of, of exactly what the crucifixion and resurrection entailed. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500. And he goes on and on through this. I mean, you can hear a sort of exasperation because if you have to continue, if you have to reiterate this to someone, um, you know, you imagine that there's been some uncomfortable conversations taking place before then. But it's it's to our great benefit because in it, he talks about this, this sort of, again, going back to the, the particular to the universal, this expansion. And it's almost like some he's saying this with all like this is what happened, guys, like. He died. He rose again. He started meeting with people who then began to tell people. And here we are. And he says this um, at, at the end. He says that we proclaim this. And so you have come to believe. And in that sort of um, that that rhythm right there, we see the work, purpose and work of the church that continues up to this day. Like we we sit there and we say, listen, we didn't call this either. But this is what happened. And by this, we've received forgiveness in his name, the, the promise for the tears wiped away and the, and the shame to be removed. And someday we will see him face to face. But until then, we continue to preach and you have come to believe. And um, this is this is one of the great, um, you know, this is this is the great comfort of the preacher is that the work has already been done. You know, the, 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 the arguments already been made. We just have to have the uh, wherewithal to stand up and say it. Yeah, and it's interesting too because this is this is a text that's probably written before any of the gospel accounts are put down on you know onto onto paper papyrus server, and this is a pretty probably somewhere in the fifties um, BCE. I mean that that's yeah. remarkable that this tradition has is is in this fixed form. I mean, it, it, there, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, all, all these things about the resurrection, some of this stuff is made up later. I mean, yes. this doesn't have the character of that. I mean, in fact, it seems like it's so fixed that they're already beginning to debate it back and forth. I mean, it's That's not right. it's it's so I mean, it, it's really this isn't you know, you can take or leave the claims, you know, of it's like C.S. Lewis, kind of liar, lunatic, or lord sort of stuff. You can take or leave the claims, but you can't really extract the phenomena of the resurrection right. from the tradition of Jesus, like yeah, the way some can. people want to. It's because it's so, it's, it's, it's inextricably linked. That's right. And I, I remember the movie, have you seen the movie with Antonio Banderas, The, um, the Body? Have you seen this? No. The, uh, it's an amazing movie um, because the, I don't remember who, who wrote it, um, 
But the entire premise is that they found the bones of Jesus. And Antonio Banderas is a um, uh, a priest in the church. And the, whoever wrote it understood um, exactly what would be at stake if, in fact, I mean, they could somehow definitively identify the bones of Jesus because um, the whole church starts cracking up, you know, and at one point, one of the bishops jumps out a window, you know, something like this. Um, and it's, it, it was, it struck me early on. I think I saw it even at the beginning of seminary because it was just a, um, uh, just sort of reiterated what I think is, is the case is that we are making basically one concerted argument that then manifests itself in a variety of ways throughout time and throughout history. But the fundamental, um, statement is that he walked out of the tomb. And how does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? How could that be? Oh, these are all good questions to have, but they certainly are questions that are are posed in light of what is, in fact, the central argument, as Paul says. I will remind you, brothers and sisters, the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn receive, in which you stand, through which also you're being saved. I mean, I think this is the, this is the sort of the, the, the reality of the Christian walk is this um, resonance between disbelief and belief and awe and reverence and kind of, um, you know, um, sort of worshipful um, holding this great um, counterintuitive truth that nevertheless, by the, the one that's when it's made, um, changes your life. I mean, I don't I don't know how else to put it, really. Frederick Beekner, his book, Wishful Thinking, a theological ABC, says that those who believe in the immortality of the soul believe that life after death is a natural function of man as digestion after a meal. The Bible instead speaks of resurrection. It's entirely unnatural. Man does not go on living beyond the grave because that's how he's made. Rather, he goes to his grave dead as a doornail and is given back life again by God just as he was given it by God in the first place, because hmm. that is the way God is made. All of the way, all of the major cre- creeds affirm belief in the resurrection of the body. In other words, they affirm the belief that what God, that what God, in spite of everything, prizes enough to bring back to life is not just some disembodied echo That's right. of a human being, but a new and revised version of all things, which made him the particular human being he was, and which he needs something like a body to express his personality, the way he looked, the sound of his voice, his peculiar capacity for creating, loving, in some sense, his face. And this is the best part of the quote. The idea of the immortality of the soul is based on the experience of man's indomitable spirit. The idea of the resurrection of the body is based on the experience of God's unspeakable love. Oh, that is good. Wow. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's that's precisely the point is that this isn't a resuscitation. You know, this isn't the um, just kind of put the paddles on Jesus and bring him back. This was the, the, the first fruits of the new creation, as Paul says, which is the redemption of, of mind, body, soul and spirit in the sense that we we were initially intended to be. But for the for the, you know, uh, destructive effects of sin. And I think the the, the grandeur of that and the, the magnificence of it is something that was is almost out of our comprehension, I think. Um, and that's why we have to sing about it often, you know, why we have to, why we have to uh, sort of uh, hold it with, with is get our arms around it um, as much as we can, which is not very much. And um, nevertheless, it continues to speak and, and reorder our lives in a powerful way year after year um, in, in an undeniable and, and um, in an undeniable way. We want- When we come to the gospel reading, Mark 16, 
one through eight. This is the short, short Easter story, which leads yes. with, this is we, we don't have any resurrection appearances, and we leave with the women afraid. And of course, I'm assuming that the snake handling stuff is a later addition. <laughs> Not that I'm against snake handling, but right, right. Well, but, yeah, let's but be most early manuscripts. All that. people said they may win. That, that's like a Hollywood producer. Come on, we're going to end it with these women afraid. I mean, what about some <laughs> snake handling or something? A miracle. That's out. <laughs> that's it. well. You know, this is the this is the the where we come back to the to the sort of the, the grand narrative, as it were. I mean, the whole, the, the fact that in 2018, we're sitting here um, talking about this is that what they ran out and saw was Jesus. I mean, that's the argument. I mean, that's, this is the, 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 um, you know, from, from the, from the first, from the first witnesses, as Paul says, we have this, this counterintuitive again, um, sort of event where the women coming to anoint the body were met with an empty tomb. And then, um, you know, in this account, they see a young man, uh, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. And look, they, there's a place they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Well, they saw him. I mean, this is the argument. They saw him and not just Peter, as Paul says in first Corinthians, Cephas, but, uh, but the rest of the disciples, and then to 500, and then finally to one untimely born, he said. And I think that's where, you know, my 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 um, emphasis preaching Easter, as you can probably tell, is to simply let the facts of the case um, stand. I mean, you can obviously in all, um, in all uh, you know, various arguments, people can, can argue with the facts. I mean, that's what judges do, you know, two versions of some sort of account but the the facts of it are that we are standing here you know 2018 um talking about a man who according to his closest um you know associates uh and against all expectation walked out of a tomb and sent them into the world to tell people about what he did and why he did it and that he was coming again and that message hasn't stopped and that uh, of course, the questions continue to uh, swirl and churches continue to um, argue and denominations and people are going to have all sorts of different perspectives on things. But the fundamental um, perspective, you know, it's like the um, the misuse of that uh, that blind man of Hindustan. You, you, you know, this, the, the, they're all standing around an elephant. Right, right, it's right. Often mis yeah, it's often misused because it's an argument that, well, there's um, there's a uh, there's there's, you know, one thinks it's a rope, one thinks it's a, 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 a long tube, one thinks it's an ear. It's like the, the problem with the argument is is not that there are different perspectives. That's clear. But they actually is an elephant. That's the problem. Right. Like there actually is an elephant to be seen. And the fact that some people can't see it properly doesn't change the fact that the elephant exists. And so I think with respect to the resurrection, when we're talking about Christianity, we're talking about something that has, in fact, been revealed. We may have different different appropriations of exactly what it will look like, different appropriations of, of um, what it will mean in different times of our lives. But fundamentally, Christians talk about this resurrected Jewish carpenter who um, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And this is what Easter is about. And it's a great joy and celebration because it is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave us. But um, but but in our modern sort of skeptic, you know, postmodern uh, world, um, the the grandeur and the is going back to the beginning, the sort of absurdity of it almost. Um, and yet the, the 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 fulfillment of that seemingly absurd argument that we stand in today 
is often lost, I think. Um, and to kind of re, re, um, revive sort of a sense of that, um, of, of the, of the just total shocking, um, and, and world reordering, um, uh, magnitude of it is really the task of the of the preacher i mean uh, you know and, i mean who could who could claim to to totally fulfill that task but um you know thankfully we have guides like paul and the gospel writers and um even isaiah to, to lead us as we um seek to simply say what we have received and then people will come to believe through this yeah, yeah and these first women you know it's interesting because paul says that you know by the grace of god he is what he is, and that grace wasn't in vain. You see these women who are, I mean, Mark's gospel is one of such quick motion, but ends with them standing still, afraid. And God's grace brings them from fear to, to faith. Yes. And, you know, Mark's readers are probably afraid, you know, and the church, you know, yeah. 70 AD, somewhere around there, and things are, the world is, is turning upside down. And yet, it's almost like Mark saying, well, yeah. But that same fear that paralyzes you, that paralyzed those first women. And then that's God right. came and moved them from, from fear to faith. And that's why you know the story now. That's and, right. And, and I love the fact that he says, his, go tell his disciples and Peter. You know, I, I always thought it was so poignant because, you know, Peter was um, obviously famously um, enshrined as this great coward at the moment of Jesus' greatest need. And the idea that God, the idea that Jesus, I mean, I love the account when Jesus comes back. I think it's in, in John, um, and they're fishing again. And Peter was the first one who dove out of the boat to go eat upon seeing the risen Lord. You know, and it's Peter becomes this this symbol um, for the the lengths and, and the magnitude of God's forgiving grace to even his his you know enshrined and you know throughout all of history. We all know the Peter. Uh, you know, the croc, the cock crew is the past tense to crow. I just found out in our gospel reading, um, this past week that when the cock crew, uh, before the cock crow three times, um, Peter would deny him. And this, and yet even this man, yeah. you know, is one for whom Jesus died. And I think that's where Peter, it makes sense. Peter's first sermon, he stands under the judgment of all and says, Hey guys, remember in Acts, he says, Hey, look, this guy that we crucified. <laughs> you know, that was crucified before you, well, he he's now seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Um, but if you believe in him and have forgiveness in his name, you know, you will be saved. I mean, this is a paraphrase, but nevertheless, the, the very people who have been rightly exposed by the cross as those who are in need um, and who are sinners, frankly, um, are the ones who then become as uh, the, the mouthpiece of God. I mean, I, you know, going back to the whole, um, to the to the absurdity of it too, is like the very people who who stand under the very judgment of God become the mouthpieces for His grace and glory and majesty, um, which is which is hard to believe until you hear it, and then when you hear it, as Paul says, you well, many people, in fact, come to believe. Well, blessings to you as you are serving as a mouthpiece this week, and to all of our listeners. Thank you, Scott. It's great to be with you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just thanks getting Thanks again off to the JD ground. for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.